0: It's the Hospital Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Gil Pratt. This lecture's topic is the basics about MRSA. Staphylococcus aureus is astonishingly adaptable as a human pathogen, and we've become impressed by its ability to acquire antibiotic resistance. H.G. Wells spoke the truth when he said, Adapt or perish, now as ever, is nature's inexorable imperative. And back when penicillin was introduced in the 1940s, it looked like we had found the cure to treating staph infections. That didn't last long as resistance patterns to penicillin quickly emerged. Then, in the year 1959, semi-synthetic penicillins came along. These went by the names such as methicillin, oxicillin, nafcillin, among others— And things went rather well for about a year or two until it was noticed in 1961 that there was a strain of Staph aureus that was resistant to methicillin, and thus we had the birth of MRSA, otherwise known as methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. And if the issue is simply that these organisms were only resistant to methicillin, We could endure that challenge in these modern times as we now have lots of other antibiotics to use. However, these MRSA strains have become multi-resistant to lots of classes of antibiotics, and those resistance patterns can be particularly concerning in certain geographic areas. By 2003, more than 50% of staph aureus isolates recovered in U.S. hospitals were methicillin-resistant, As the arsenal of antibiotics we can use to fight these infections dwindles, times continue to become more alarming. Well, what makes MRSA so resistant to certain antibiotics? First off, it's important to note that new clones of MRSA continue to be discovered. Different genes acquired by bacteria confer different resistance and virulence patterns. However, In the case of MRSA, there is a gene called the MEC gene. That MEC gene must be present to have methicillin resistance, and the gene makes a protein called penicillin-binding protein 2A, which allows for bacteria cell wall synthesis to continue when beta-lactams such as penicillin are present. Again, There are other genes and resulting virulence factors that different strains of MRSA will have, but the one gene they all will have is this MEC gene. What types of infections can MRSA cause? It destroys all kinds of normal, healthy tissue. The misery of MRSA includes skin and wound infections, There are bloodstream infections, which can include infections from central lines, pneumonias, ventilator-associated pneumonias, osteomyelitis, endocarditis, lung abscesses, and pyomyositis. And the list goes on and on with sinus infections, urinary tract infections, empyemas, and lots of other possibilities. An article titled, MRSA Virulence and Spread written in 2012 by Michael Otto from the NIH in the journal called Cellular Biology, says on page 1516 that the mortality rate of severe invasive MRSA infections is about 20%, and it has been estimated that MRSA infections are the leading cause of death by a single infectious agent in the United States of America— Exceeding deaths caused by HIV. So now that we're scared of MRSA, we also know there's a sizable number of people that carry MRSA that don't get infected. So what is the difference between colonization and infection? There was an article published March seventh, two 2006, in the Annals of Internal Medicine titled a U.S. population-based survey of Staphylococcus aureus colonization. At the time of that study, they found that 31% of the U.S. population is colonized with Staph aureus, which is not all MRSA, and obviously far fewer people of those colonized actually develop a Staph infection. This dynamic number will always continue to change, as the number of people colonized changes every day based on multiple factors. The Annals article also summarized an interesting point, which I will quote now. The relationship between colonization and infection is not completely understood, but it is associated with factors intrinsic to the host, as well as to the strain of Staph aureus, Using molecular typing, investigators have shown that more than 80% of bloodstream infections caused by Staph in hospitalized adults were preceded by colonization of the anterior nares with the same strain. And that's the end of that quote. But us doctors realize, hopefully, that when a person is colonized with MRSA, Invasive devices like central lines or even an IV increase the risk of MRSA bloodstream infections. If intubation is needed, the risk for MRSA pneumonia is also present. If the patient needs surgery, an MRSA wound infection can occur. Basically, when we break the barriers of defense our body has, we provide an opportunity for organisms to infect us. Well what are other risk factors for colonization and possible resulting infection that depends on a few things let me just say for now that staff can be acquired in healthcare facilities but it can also be acquired in the community and this is known as community acquired MRSA the risk factors for getting MRSA will be expanded on further in some of my future podcast lectures that will focus on prevention and treatment. However, it is worth noting that carrier rates of MRSA differ depending on the ethnicity and whatever disease process a patient has. So there are host factors besides just being exposed to the bacteria. For those wanting to know more about Staphylococcus virulence factors, such as biofilms and the reasons that it can cause serious infections, I would refer you to my podcast on osteomyelitis as I don't want to be redundant. So I just mentioned the term community-acquired MRSA. What is community-acquired MRSA? For a long time, it seemed MRSA infections were limited to hospitalized patients Then, in the 1990s, there was an emergence of community-associated or community-acquired MRSA with the capacity to infect otherwise healthy individuals that were not in a hospital. And once again, things got scarier. The Annals of Internal Medicine on March 7, 2006 published an article titled The Growing Menace of Community-Acquired Methicillin-Resistant Staphylococcus Aureus, Let me quote a part of the first paragraph from that article. They say, Sporadic reports of community-acquired or community-associated MRSA infections have appeared since 1980, but 1999 marked the beginning of the current epidemic in the United States. The sentinel event was a series of fatal cases of community-acquired MRSA infections due to a clone of MRSA known as USA 400 in Native American children living in the Midwest. The USA 400 type has subsequently caused infections throughout the country. And that's in the quote. But let me also convey that the etiology of community-acquired MRSA is not from strains of MRSA that escaped from healthcare settings into the community. Several are concerned that community-acquired MRSA may be worse healthcare acquired MRSA in regards to virulence. The logic behind that is we know community-acquired MRSA is very successful at infecting otherwise healthy people. The community-acquired strains seem more successful in avoiding our immune defenses and in particular have evolved capacity to avoid destruction by human neutrophils. But as one would expect, Bacteria does not adhere to borders and boundaries. So, we are now seeing community acquired MRSA cause hospital acquired infections, and the distinction between community acquired and hospital acquired MRSA may become further blurred with time. I think I will end this podcast with a quote by the deceased American bacteriologist Hans Zinzer who isolated the bacteria-causing typhus, among his other achievements. He said, "...infectious disease is merely a disagreeable instance of a widely prevalent tendency of all living creatures to save themselves the bother of building, by their own efforts, the things they require. Whenever they find it possible to take advantage of the constructive labors of others, This is the path of least resistance. The plant does the work with its roots and its green leaves. The cow eats the plant. Man eats both of them. And bacteria or investment bankers eat the man. Hmm. Well, I can't say I totally agree with that, as bacteria are more helpful than harmful to people, but it is still a fun quote. You have been listening to the Hospital Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Gil Peratt.